Open your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 6. 2 Kings, chapter 6, Old Testament. In the ministry of Elisha. Elisha succeeded Elijah. Elijah went home to heaven in a whirlwind, a chariot of fire. And one day, we believe, probably he's coming back to be one of the two witnesses in Jerusalem in the end of time. But anyhow, he was a great prophet. He performed seven miracles. Elisha took over for him, and according to the Bible, he performed 14. He said, I want a double portion of thy spirit when you depart. And Elisha said, you've asked a hard thing. And this was God's business, and God granted 14 miracles to be done by Elisha in his ministry. And chapter 6 is one of those that took place under the ministry of Elisha. I've been reading about and studying about the Holy Spirit for quite a while in the last few months of my life, and uh, I wish I were farther up the line than I am. I wish I knew more than I knew. I wish I could grasp more than I could grasp. I wish my spiritual depth was deeper than it is about the Holy Spirit. Uh, Sometimes I stand amazed in the presence of God. A lot of times I do of just who He is. One of the reasons why I ask you while I go for one word testimony. I was listening to Jack Treber out of California the other day on his podcast and he was going through a series of words and only one word. He talked about justification and he talked about sanctification. He talked about propitiation. He talked about redemption. And those big old words back when you was a kid you didn't know what they meant. And as you get older you learn what they meant hopefully. If I ask you what they meant tonight would you be able to define them? If I ask you what justification meant, do you know what it is? Sanctification, redemption, propitiation. And a lot of big words in the Bible, but they're elementary words that we ought to know as Christians as we grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's a miracle that took place in the book of 2 Kings chapter 6. Let's stand together and read together the Word of God. And uh, I don't know if I'll do all three points, and i got three points in this sermon, I may do one, having a season of prayer before we leave. Chapter 6. And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, Behold, now the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us, or it's too small for us. The sons of the prophets were, of course, like a traveling Bible college. And they'd go from place to place and take residence, and they'd study under whoever the main prophet was, which in this case was Elisha. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thee every man a beam, and let us make us a place there, where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. So Elisha is given permission to build this church. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servant. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one, fell, as one was felling a, tree, a beam, the axe head fell into the water, And he cried and said, Alas, Master, for it was buried. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place. And he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Get that. Did you get it? The iron did swim. It didn't float. The iron did swim. Therefore said he, Take it up to thee. And he put it out of his hand and took it. May God add his blessings to the miracle of 2 Kings chapter 6 under Elisha of making the iron to swim. Father, bless the preaching of thy word tonight. At least may we gain a truth or two. 
they can help us in our Christian life, and we'd be certainly thankful for it in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Well, there was nothing wrong with building a church. All of us have been a part of that down through the years of our life. Most of us have been around church building, whether it be a small building or a large building. Many of us have gone through building programs, and it takes labor and toil. Nothing wrong with them working. And uh, so they decided among themselves they need to build a bigger building. Nothing wrong with that. The growth of the prophets got bigger. They needed more room and more space to do what they needed to do to study. And I'm not sure of the dimensions of what size it was. But they decided to go down to Jordan, cut down some trees, put up some beams, and make a bigger place that they could study the Word of God together under Elisha and others that may be teaching from time to time. And so it was an important part, and I want to commend them for their workability, that they wanted to do some work. Thank God. Now, maybe a, this guy who borrowed the axe, maybe he was like a preacher, never worked on anything else. He probably didn't know how to hold an axe. He might have been one of those kind of guys didn't know what to do with an axe. But he had to borrow one for some reason. He didn't have one of his own. Seemingly, the other guys had one, or they had plenty of axes around, except this one guy didn't seem to have an axe. That's not the, not the main message, but the main message is what that axe represented, that axe had represented, and it speaks to volumes to us. So Elisha performs a miracle. Here the guys got the axe head, and they're felling a beam, and they call it felling a beam. They're cutting down a tree. They're cutting down this tree to make, it, make some beams uh, to make the church house so they could use it. And while he was there at the Jordan River, he was working hard, sweating, building up a, a big sweat. And he come down and he cut the tree and the axe head flew off and went in the middle of the Jordan River. Amazing. Then he's crying. He got last master, for it was buried. Well, that's a good statement to make. How many's ever had an axe head come off the, your axe? Have you ever done that with an axe head? We, I remember that when we was kids, when it wasn't on tight, and it come off the end of the handle. Have you ever tried to chop a tree with a handle? How much good can you do with a handle? Not too much good. You can see the application begin to build very quickly if you read the story. Over and over again, the application begins to build what God's trying to teach us through this miracle of Elijah. So many of the Lord's workmen today have lost their axe head of power. He couldn't go on. He couldn't go on. At least he said, "Alas, Master, it was buried." He realized that the axe head is the spirit's unction has fallen into the water. He could not go on and continue to work and contribute to the cause he wanted to. He was doing something prior to when it fell out, fell off. And I'll talk maybe next week about how you lose the Spirit's power in your life as a Christian. See, there's the loaning of the axe head. There's the losing of the axe head. And there's the locating of the axe head. And all three fit together in this story to help us to walk with God and be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And I said at the outset, sometimes sermons like this are convicting to me. They bring me to a realization of how little I am, how impossible I am without God's power. And if I don't have His power, I can't do what I need to do in my Christian life. Dr. Vance Havners has a sermon on this. He says that many of the God's people, the, the unction has fallen into the waters of worldliness. He says the church is so worldly and the world is so churchy, you can't tell them apart. There was a time you could just about tell Christians different than the unsaved just by their actions and how they walked and how they lived and how they dressed. I'm not talking about, you know, you have to wear 
certain clothes like the Pentecostal folks did. But one thing about the Pentecostal folks when I was growing up, you could sort of tell who they were. Then after a while, somewhere along the way, they dropped their standard too. But there used to be a certain standard among Christian people that they had about going to church and living right and serving God. And uh, we sometimes act like them, drink like them, dress like them, look like them. And you put two together, you can't hardly tell the two, the two apart. And I'm not talking about my message tonight, but the fact is we become worldly and attached to worldly things more and more. Christian people have become worldly. And I talked about it here a while back. Love not the world, need things that are of the world. If you love the, the love of the Father is not in you if you love the things of the world. If I love the world more than love God, I don't love God like I ought to. And that's a tragedy and sad. He also says they've fallen into the ponds of indifference. And that's even worse than when worldly, just being indifferent to the things of God. I can take it or leave it. You know, I can go to church or not go to church. I can witness or not witness. I can read my Bible or not read my Bible. I'm a pretty good Joe, all right? I read my Bible sometimes. don't read it much. don't read it often. Surveys I've taken over the years and classes has been sort of eye-opener to me. How many of you read your Bible this week? Three times. At least three times. You don't always raise your hand now, but you read it three times this week. How many's read it every day? You say, that's a good question. You start there. How many's read the Bible seven times or all, all week? You read it at least seven times. And there'll be several hands go up. And that's not to be embarrassing because everybody else needs to get a hold of the truth. They need to read it every day. Man shall not live by bread alone. Now, I love peanut butter. Man shall not live by peanut butter alone. Anybody else like peanut butter? God bless the peanut butter folks. I mean, I, I just love peanut butter. I know maybe it's not the best thing on my diet, but uh, I like jelly on my peanut butter. Anybody else like jelly on your peanut butter? Now I'll get you here. I like mayonnaise on my jelly and peanut butter. I knew every time they do that, ah, what is wrong with that? I'm going to start me a restaurant, Brandon, serve peanut butter, jelly, and mayonnaise. I think it'd be a best. I think it'd be a good, good seller. But I love peanut butter and jelly and mayonnaise. If I don't have mayonnaise, I I, I use jelly. Last night I couldn't find jelly, so I got me some preserves that somebody gave Nancy the other day. Boy, they were good. Man, they were delicious. But man can't live by peanut butter alone. I mean, the Bible says you know he must he must live by every word. So I got to have an every word Bible. That's why I believe in the King James Bible, every word Bible. I mean, I don't, see, if God didn't mean what He said, He should have said what He meant. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. It's the only book God wrote. It proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And so He wrote the Bible, used men to pen it down in human language, but He wrote it Himself. He breathed on people, the Holy Ghost of God did, as they wrote the Word of God, inscribed it in human language. Moses wrote, wrote the first five books of the Bible. Moses wasn't there when God created the world, but he put it down like God told him to. And down through the annals of time, the, the men of God, probably about 40 of them over 15, 1,600 years, wrote the Bible exactly like God wanted it written. It was brought together and preserved miraculously by the hand of God, Psalm chapter 12. But the fact is, some folks get indifferent to the Word of God. They say, well, if I read it one time a week, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. Well, why don't you touch, just try to eat once a week? I'm going to eat peanut butter once a week. I'd probably die if I just ate peanut butter once a week. I could get a little famished if I just did that. I probably could survive without it. I probably could go on. But I've got to put something in substitute to take its place. And if you substitute something with the Word of God, what's it going to be? 
Will it be something worldly? Will it be something just indifferent, just maybe anything and everything that attracts my attention? And it's dangerous sometimes to live and go by your feelings. You know what people do sometimes? They live by their emotions. Emotions go up down the ladder. I've quoted this little saying by Fanny Crosby, I know at least a thousand times. That's not exaggerating. Over these 52 years, I've quoted it many, many, many times. Feelings come and feelings go. Feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the Word of God. None else is worth believing. I believe the Bible, she said. I've got to believe what God has to say. If God is true to His Word, I need this book. Do I read it and sometimes not get much out of it? Yes. When I get over in some of those books of the Bible, man, I get all tangled up in Ezekiel's wheels and trying to figure out all them wheels in Ezekiel. Uh, sometimes I get bogged down in it. Sometimes some of the Scriptures are not as clear to me and I read over and over. It's just like a little passage right here. It may not be as clear to you, but it may be made clear to you as it is to me. But I, I, read it, I read it 25 times this week, just 2 Kings chapter 6, those seven verses. Because every word and the sons of the prophets. Then think about that for a while. Who are the sons of the prophets? What are they doing? Where are they at? Sitting to Elisha. Who's Elisha? Then you talk about who Elisha is. Behold, now this place. And there's a sort of a, an excitement. It's time to build. It's time to build the building. It's time to get it done. It's time to pay the parking lot. That's not in there somewhere. I thought it was in there somewhere. <laughs> but everything has a purpose. And the Word of God is important for us to read it regularly. And he also, Van Savner says, that it's following the swamps of sluggishness. The waters of worldliness, the ponds of indifference, and the swamps of sluggishness. You may have ability, and that's fine. You may have training and sincerity and earnestness, but chopping with the handle. Oh, how many times we've done that. We've just chopped with the handle. We've tried to, we just do it in the flesh is a better way to say it. Methods and the message is there. And God has a method through the voice of, through the Word of God. There's a message and through the method is teaching and preaching the Word of God, but not, we don't have the might. And the Bible teaches us that nothing is done without the power of God, but you shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other most parts of the world. Not by my might, not by your might. Uh, it's not by our ingenuity. It's not by our ability. It's His ability. See, it's making yourself available with your ability to let God take your ability and saturate it with His ability and do through you what needs to be done. He saves you by His power and He equips you by His ability to do in your, your life what needs to be done. So notice several things about the axe head. The loaning of the axe head, first of all. The word power. What's the power for? It's for service. What's the service for in the application? The application is from God. This accent is a symbol of the unction of the Holy Ghost, the Ghost of God. And again, the man may study, may have personality, may have enthusiasm, but the accent is boring. Now, God wants us to be busy. He wants us to learn. He wants us to study. I was thinking about Clarence Sexton a while ago. Clarence Sexton loves Charles Spurgeon. He's been to into England several times and met with the new pastor there. Uh, he probably he built his church in the same design as the Baptist Tabernacle in London, England. If you ever go to Crown or go to Temple Baptist, and uh, many things there have similarity. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he's a, he's a historian. 
Clarence Sexton was. He loved to read and published some biographies of Charles Spurgeon. But I'm telling you that the fact is, uh, you can, and, and he knows you can study. Charles Spurgeon studied. Charles Spurgeon had books in his library. He had a man that when Charles Spurgeon was studying on the Holy Spirit, this particular man would go through Charles Spurgeon's library and find every book he could on the Holy Spirit. Charles, then he had what he called a lazy Susie uh, that was on his desk. So he would get those books and he would lay them on the lazy Susie. Then he'd turn the lazy Susie to the next book. He'd read everything he could on that subject. Uh, Jason Harville was coming by in a few days. Jason made me a lazy Susie. I use it every day. Now, I'm not Charles Spurgeon and I'm not Clarence Sexton. But I do put books on it. No more. I'm up to, up to date sometimes with it. But it's a good tool to have. Just fine tune. It'll turn just meticulously. And uh, it's a bit, it was a good gift I got down through the years. But the accent is borrowed. It doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from you. Whatever is accomplished in the Christian life, if it's accomplished in the Christian life, it comes from God. All power comes from God. He gives us our abilities. He gives us our power. He gives us our life. He gives us our strength. He gives us our salvation is of God. Service power is from God. Salvation is of God. You had a word a while ago. Folks who used the word salvation. Salvation is of God. Salvation comes from the Jews, but it is of God. And the salvation is real and true. And all of us need to be saved by the grace of God. We can't be saved any other way. We're saved by grace through faith. That not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Not of our own self-righteousness. And our Christian life is to be lived by yielding to the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And He dwells in us to enable us, to equip us, to help us to live the Christian life. And boy, I need that. And my, my stubborn flesh wants to do it my way. Now you don't have that problem because all of y'all are sanctified, really dedicated to the Lord more than I am. But sometimes I battle the Christian life. The Christian life, Christian life gets to be a, a real tassel if you're not careful, because the flesh wants to dominate you. And it's, remember, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, the pride of life, is not of the Father, it is of the world. So you battle the lust of the flesh. Anybody in this room who says they do not battle the lust of the flesh is probably lying. And if you don't battle the lust of the pride, you're probably lying. And if you don't battle the lust of the world, you're probably lying. <laughs> oh, that's, our, that's the enemy the devil uses against us, the pride and the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye. And so it's a combat we're in all the day, Ephesians chapter 6. So we have the battle, and we're in the battle. We'll be in the battle until the Lord comes back and gives us a glorified body. Oh, happy day that'll be when we have a glorified body just like the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know not what I shall be like, but I know I shall be like Him when I shall see Him, First John chapter 3. And I'll be just like the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm grateful for that. But the axe head from my life, Lord, I need Your help. I need Your help. The, the simple prayer, Lord, I can't do this. And then you go to Paul and say, I can do all things through Christ with strength. Lord, I can't do this. When something is called upon you to do and you feel you can't do it, that's a good position to be in. I can't do this, Lord, but I can with your help. If you want me to do it, I can do it. If you don't want me to do it, I can't do it. I'll stumble through it and I'll make a mess of it. But trying to know the leadership of God is not always easy, but you ought to be willing to read the Word of God. How do I know the will of God? Is by reading the Word of God. 
I think 95% of the will of God is found in the Word of God. For instance, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you should be what? Saved. That's the Word of God says that. So I, I do that, so I'm saved. And the Bible says then the next step is to be baptized. And you go into all the world and you know, make converts and they ought to get baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. So the next thing I ought to do, what should you do next, is get baptized. So you don't have to pray about that long. How long should I pray about getting baptized? Not very long. Lord, what's next? Get baptized. And then read your Bible, pray, pray without ceasing, pray. At the end, church, forsake not the assembly of yourself together as the manner of some is, and the more so as you see the day approaching. Just go to church, go to church. Most of our problems can be solved if we just do what God says simply after we get saved. But we make it hard. We try to live the Christian life on less meat. We try to drink more milk. I love milk. I, I love a lot of stuff. I said a while ago, I love, I, I've been drinking 1% milk for a long time. Nancy sometimes sneaks 2% in me. But I like, I like zero fat milk. Somebody said, don't have any taste. Tastes like water. It tastes like milk to me. You get used to it. You just drink what you got. Losing all that weight, slim and trim, drinking zero milk. But, I, you know, I, I drink milk. But I don't want to steady drink dieted milk. You know, milk is good. And uh, you ought to hunger and thirst after the Word of God like milk. The Bible tells that. It's like a baby thirsting for milk when it's a little baby. After a while, you start growing. You want to eat meat. And the more you eat meat, the stronger you become Christian-wise. The more strong you become the more you're able to endure, the more able you're able to face life. And your emotions don't control you. The God of heaven controls you. And the more the God of heaven controls you, the more you understand that the victory is in the Lord. He's already given the victory. My responsibility is to yield myself to Him and to get Him where He wants me to be so I can have the victory. And that's the big issue in life is where do I find myself yielding myself to Him? The great need for our age is for each of us to be filled with the Spirit of God. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. I think somebody quoted it this week. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18. I want to do a whole sermon on that, between the contrast between drinking liquor and getting filled with the Holy Ghost. There is a contrast. There is a comparison between the two. He says, do not be drunk, don't get drunk in excess. Now, he's not saying you should, you should just nibble on it. He said, woe unto the man who puts liquor to his neighbor's lips. I was reading that today, I think, in Proverbs. And liquor is a subject in its own, own right. It needs to be left alone, not to be drunk. I don't think you ought to sip wine. I don't think you ought to drink anything. Somebody says, I think maybe Brandon was teaching the other day, or Brian won. If you are going to drink liquor, if you drink, it takes ten to make you drunk. You drink one, one drink, you're one-tenth there. I mean, you're pretty close. You're getting there pretty quick if you keep on drinking. You can be drunk with ten drinks. Then one drink will make you one-tenth drunk. drunk. Well, I don't look like that, they say. I don't look through those eyes. Well, start looking through those eyes. I'm on my way to becoming an alcoholic. You say, well, I'll never become an alcoholic. That's what every, every, every alcoholic says. I'll never be an alcoholic. It won't, it won't control me. They've all said that. Same with drug addicts. It never control me. I'll handle it. Look at them today. Amen. So they feel, be filled the Holy Spirit is a command. It's not an option given to us by the Apostle Paul.
Bob Jones, I think it was. I'm not sure if it's Bob Jones, maybe somebody else. But he said these words. If you're a Pentecostal, I speak to you on the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Ever heard that phrase? If you're a Nazarene, I speak to you on sanctification. If you're a Wesleyan, I speak to you on perfect love. If you're a Presbyterian, I speak to you on death to self. If you're a Baptist, I speak to you on what we ain't got that we desperately need in our churches. And that's probably true. We don't have to necessarily define it all the time. But it's missing in our lives. Being filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. So we have a problem. We ought to have the power, but we have a problem. Let me give you two thoughts and we'll pray. We are utterly powerless and helpless unless we're living our ministries in the energy of the Holy Spirit. And boy, I I weigh that out often. You know, where am I at in my Christian growth? Where am I at as as a preacher of my life? At age 77, the same thing I used to do under a tree, begging God for power, I need more so today at 77 than I did when I was 18. I need the same power, the same Holy Spirit to work in my life. So the problem is we're powerless and helpless without we're living our ministries in the energy of the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you get the power of the Holy Spirit? Be filled. You've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you get to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, it's you yielding yourself to the Holy Spirit. You drink the waters of life, refreshing waters. You drink it till you feel. And they take this cup of water. And I'll use this illustration again. There's two ways to empty that glass. Before I empty it, I'll drink some. But there's two ways to empty that glass. I can turn it upside down and just empty all of it out. That's sort of hard to take my body upside down and shake everything out that's bad. But if I put something stronger than this inside the water, it will push the water out. Say if I put mercury in here, if I put enough mercury, it'll push all that water out of there. If I let the power of the Holy Spirit fill me, it'll push the, the, the ingredient out that I don't need there. And the more He fills me, and it's not a one-time event, it is day by day being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The problem is we sometimes just lose our power Along the way, here's what Bob Jones said. I thought I had a quote by him. He said, I'd rather fellas say, I've seen. Now, I know you're supposed to say, I have seen. I think that's what you're supposed to say, English-wise. I had rather a fellow say, I've seen, who has seen something, than to say, I have seen, when he ain't seen nothing. I like that. Dr. Bob Jones, president of Bob Jones University, the first job, Bob Jones. And I mentioned, I think, Sunday, D.O. Moody never had a college education. He dropped out to go make a million dollars in selling shoes. But D.O. Moody was uneducated. But one man, when he got really famous, D.O. Moody, they said, who are we going to get for a meeting this year? They said, D.O. Moody. Why do you have to get D.O. Moody all the time? Does he have a monopoly on God? They said, no, he doesn't have a monopoly on God. God has a monopoly on him. And God used him mightily across the world, uneducated. He was like a big, a big child. He liked to pick. He liked to play tricks on people. And uh, he's the guy that, uh, when a guy come down to the altar to do something, standing just standing there, they was getting ready to close or something. Deal. Moody went on and got a hold of his beard and got a hold of his beard. And went honk honk. Now, can you imagine a man of God doing that? Honk honk. But that's the way he was. He was just a common guy. Everybody gravitated toward him. And so that's the way it ought to be in our life. 
once again, over and over again, Ephesians 5.18, and I'm through. I love this illustration. A black fellow down south said, Lord, give me the unction. Give me the unction. A fellow asked him, what in the world is this unction you keep talking about? He replied, I don't know what it is, but I know what it ain't. And it sure is terrible without it. I need the unction of the Holy Spirit. Every worker needs it. Every preacher needs it. Every teacher needs it. Every singer needs it. And how many times we go to the pulpit without asking God for His divine power? A lot, not just a little. How many times do we sing songs in the flesh? How many times do we witness in the flesh? Lord, I need Your power. You know what? You can be in that spirit all, all day long. Lord, I need You. I need You. I need You. And that unction is there. It's available to us. God wants to use us and He won't refuse us. He wants to use us if we make ourselves available to Him. But He won't force Himself on us. He never forces Himself on us. He's always available to help every one of us. May God help us tonight to glean the truth about being filled with the Holy Spirit. I have two more points on the Acts that I'll give the Lord willing next Wednesday.